0: Let me ask you to turn to Philemon, a book right before Hebrews. Here in Philemon, we have a wealthy church member who has abandoned, who was abandoned by Onesimus, and Paul is writing this short letter that we're going to look at today in order to. Um, try to influence reconciliation between Philemon, the master, and Onesimus, the slave. And we learn from the text that that um, they have this relationship. And, and before we consider how I think this will help us in, in in resolving conflicts ourselves, we first need to address the issue of slavery in the Bible, particularly here, right in, in Philemon, because what you're going to find here is that. Paul is not going to say stop making him your slave. Slavery is wrong. But we need to recognize a few things about slavery in the Bible before we, um, before we make a judgment call on what Paul is not doing. In other words, what he omits. First, we need to recognize that this passage is not an endorsement on slavery. Uh, no more than Jesus or Paul talking about divorce is an endorsement on divorce, Right? Uh, Jesus says the reason that there is divorce or that there are laws about divorce is because of your sinful hearts, right? And so he's saying um, it's not an endorsement of it, and I don't think Paul is endorsing slavery here. Um, certainly when we read about Solomon being polygamist, that's not an endorsement on polygamy. So we have to recognize that there are some things that are stated in the Bible, but not necessarily an endorsement on them. This is simply in this short letter, an explanation of how life situations were handled despite the the uh, sometimes wrong um, uh, social structures. Second, we need to see that slaves in the New Testament were not a certain race of people like we might think of them 150 years ago in our country, just one race of people, but rather that slaves were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And thirdly, they had various occupations, more than just Caring for the house or, or, you know, caring for the fields. They had occupations like doctors and lawyers and and all sorts of other occupations that they could do as slaves. And then fourthly, these slaves were probably more like indentured servants. That is, people who would have had a huge debt for some reason and who would have been unable to pay that debt. And so they decide to work for a master who would pay for that debt. And in exchange, uh, he would work for him. The master would pay the debt and also provide food and shelter, and then the servant would work for the master until the debt was paid off. So not like an um, indefinite amount of time, like we think of slaves, uh, slavery in our country 150 years ago. So we ought to be disgusted at slavery, both in our country certainly, but also in 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 the scriptures. But we also need to recognize that Paul is not endorsing. Slavery. His job is not to change the political structure and, and economic structure that the society had already set up, but rather to show how the gospel is applied in those what we could call unfair social, social structures. All right, so with that in mind, we need to look at the text now. So let me read Philemon for us and we'll see how Christians resolve personal conflicts, particularly how leaders help to in- influence the resolution of personal conflicts. Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. This is the word of God. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore... Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus, greets you, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul, in this short letter to Philemon, teaches us, I think, that personal conflicts are resolved when love and faith abound. Personal conflicts are resolved, particularly in a church setting, when love and faith abound. There are three main characters that we need to know about when considering this letter. First, Paul. Paul is the author. You see him there in verse 1. He's writing there along with Timothy. Timothy very likely is the 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 one who's having the letter dictated to him, the secretary, the amanuensis. He's writing Paul is writing from prison in Rome in 861. Um, he, he sends the letter at the same time as he sent the letters to the Colossians and the Ephesians, as we, as I mentioned, as in our study in Colossians. And very likely the the deliverers, the messengers of this letter, are Tychicus and Onesimus. So Onesimus, the slave, is actually bringing the letter to his master, to the church, to have it read. And so the first character is Paul. The second character is Philemon he's found in the second part of verse 1 2 Philemon our beloved brother and fellow worker and what we know about Philemon from this text is that he is a Christian it says there he's our beloved brother and fellow worker and then apparently he's a husband because Paul also says to Appiah, our sister so very likely he's married and then Archippus I think is probably his son so he's Philemon is a Christian a husband and a father very likely and he's also a wealthy church member because he has a large enough house to be able to hold a church gathering there. You see that at the end of verse 2, it says, To Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So again, they didn't have church buildings at this point in the first century, the beginning of the church. Um, they would meet in people's houses that had big enough house to hold that that many people. And so... He likely lives in Colossae, very likely was saved under the ministry of Paul when he was in Ephesus. Um, but he, he lives in Colossae since Onesimus is from that area. And we saw in Colossians chapter 4 that that um, that, that Onesimus uh, was likely a member of the church there or would be a member of the church there in Colossae. He's, Paul says to them, welcome him. He's one of your own now. He's, he's, he's your brother, so welcome him. So apparently Philemon is a member there at that church as well and then the third character we have paul philemon and then onesimus is philemon's runaway slave we don't uh hear his name uh, until verse 10 i appeal to you for my child onesimus was under the authority of philemon at some point as his slave and then he abandoned him and look at verse 18 because it looks like he took some things as he went Paul says, if, if he, Onesimus, has wronged you, Philemon, in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So when he left, he may have stole some things, and if he did, then, then charge that to my account. But at some point in his fleeing from Philemon, Onesimus comes into contact with Paul, and he gets saved because in verse 10, Paul calls him my child, the one whom I've begotten in prison, my spiritual child, effectively. And so Paul says, listen, I'm sending him back now because he can be a valuable asset uh, to you as he has been to me. I wish I could keep him, but I, I don't want to force you to send him back to me. I, I, I want to make sure that you're reconciled first. So Paul sends this letter uh, recognizing, now that we've recognized these three characters, he sends this letter with a prayer of grace in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. He prays for grace and peace to come to Philemon, and particularly as it's expressed in this personal conflict that needs to be resolved. So the first thing that we need to see, uh, or that we should see in this text in verses 4 through 7, is that when dealing with personal conflict, we must rely on God through prayer. When dealing with personal conflict, we must rely on God through prayer. This is how Paul begins his letter. He effectively writes down a summary of of the way that he's praying for and giving thanks to God for Philemon. And what this does is two things. It tells Philemon that Paul is confident in God's ability to work, that he's depending on, relying on God, but also it encourages Philemon. Notice verse 4. He says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So one one of the ways that we encourage one another is... We give thanks to God for them, and then we tell them that we are praying for them, or tell them that we're thanking God for them. That's what Paul does here. You know, we might think, well, you know, they might think that I'm... If I tell them that I'm thanking God for them in my prayers, they might think I'm just doing that to get something. But but clearly, Paul can do it with good motives and, and write it down for us as an example. And I think we ought to be thanking God for one another and telling them as a way to encourage them that I'm thanking God for your... Specifically, two things in verse 5 there, his love and his faith. The faith that he has towards the Lord Jesus and his love which he has towards all the saints. So Paul thanks God and tells Philemon that he thanks God for for his faithfulness. But he also encourages encourages Philemon by praying for continued faithfulness. Look at verse 6. So not only does he thank God for his love and faith, but then he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So again, his faith and love are at the front, at the forefront. And Paul is giving us a helpful example. Not only does he thank God for Philemon and for his love and faith, but now he says, I pray that you will continue to be faithful because, brother, you have been a great joy to me. I've seen your love for other people, and I I want to continue to see that. And what that's going to do is it's going to help encourage Philemon when he has to make this tough decision, should I reconcile with this person who's wronged me in a really bad way? And Paul's encouraging him by saying that I'm taking this to God, praying that you will reconcile with him. But but also it's it's encouraging to him, to Philemon, to see that his faith is not in vain. So Paul thanks God for Philemon, he prays for Philemon, and he tells Philemon that he both thanks and prays for him. When dealing with personal conflict, we must rely on God through prayer. Secondly, when dealing with personal conflict, we must... Um, When possible, give an appeal so that love can abound. When possible, give an appeal so that love can abound. We see this in verses 8 and 9. This is part of the wisdom of Paul as a leader. And you're going to see this as, you probably already did as we were reading through it. Paul says, I could have appealed, I, I could have commanded you to do this, but I chose to just make an appeal. So that you could do this of your own free will. See, Paul is in a position to say, Philemon, I I am your authority in a way, right? I'm the one who led you to Christ. And and not that I'm authority on my own. My my authority is derived from the Lord. Notice verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you, so I could, on behalf of Christ, say, Philemon, accept him. I'm not going to do that. So Paul has this authority, and he was... He contributed significantly to Philemon's present faith. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even yourself as well. So he's probably saying I was responsible for you coming to Christ. How would you have known about Christ if it were not for me? Paul's saying. And so I have really the authority and the relationship with you where I could just command you to accept Onesimus back. But even though he could order that, instead, notice what he does in verse 9. Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a, person of Christ, uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says, I am the apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm the aged, and in this case probably means the old man, probably uh, in his 60s at this point. He's saying, I'm old enough and have the authority enough to be able to command you, yet for love's sake, verse 9, I want to appeal to you instead. I want you to be able to make the choice. Look at verse 14. This is what Paul has in mind. He says, but without your consent, I did not want to do anything. So I could have just kept Onesimus with me. He's been such a help to me while I'm in prison. I could have kept him, but I didn't want to do that. Second part of verse 14. So that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. Do you see what happens when Paul makes a command? Then Philemon would have to be compelled to respond, to obey. But he says, "I don't want it that to be the case. I want you to be able to have a choice between A and B, and I want you to choose A, even though I didn't tell you to do it." And that way, love and faith are highlighted, rather than you just, "Okay, I'll, I'll get, I'll get in line and do what you say." Um, instead, for love's sake, verse nine, Paul was not going to coerce him, or twist his arm, or force him into compliance, but rather he would he would give all the the, the reasons why, the motivations, and then let Philemon make a choice. And that way the choice could be done not out of compulsion, verse 14, but out of love. Because if Philemon responded as Paul is suggesting by welcoming back Onesimus and treating him as more than a slave, as a brother, then, then the gospel is going to be highlighted in that choice that's not coerced. Love is going to be on display. And that can only come from a genuine heart that's been changed by Christ. So in dealing with personal conflict, first, we must rely on God through prayer. Second, we must, when possible, give an appeal so that love can abound. And then third, we ought to give spiritual motivations for reconciliation. So Paul clearly has in mind what he wants Philemon to do. He's not going to tell him what to do. But he has in mind what he wants him to do and he's going to lay out motivations. He's going to influence a choice as best as he can without forcing him to do it. Do you see? You're spiritually mature enough to weigh all the options and to make a choice. So I'm going to let you do that. Here here is why you ought to do this. And there are three, uh, four primary reasons why he ought to accept Onesimus. First, Onesimus has changed. The return of Onesimus is far different from his departure in verses 10 through 14. Ones- Onesimus is a different man than when he left. When he left, he apparently took some things and he left not with the permission of Philemon, which is why he needs to be reconciled. But Paul's saying he's much different. Verse 10 tells us that Onesimus is a believer. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Okay? Okay. The idea there is spiritually his child and spiritually begotten. He's not his physical child, of course, but his child in the faith. And so Onesimus now is a believer. Secondly, Onesimus is repentant in verse 11, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful useful both to you and to me. So Onesimus now, when he comes back, he's going to be a benefit to you. He's going to tell him how later, but... But right now what you need to see is that that he formerly was useless to you because he left you. He he hung you out to dry effectively. And and you he he stole some things uh, apparently before he left as well and so this man whose name is Onesimus who means useful his name means useful he formerly was useless and now he's going to be what his name means again. He's going to be useful to you again. He's going to be useful both to you and to me paul's going to say uh, later on in the text he's going to say when you accept him back you're actually going to refresh my spirit so then onesimus gives a double blessing effectively he blesses you by becoming more like a brother than a slave and he blesses me because now you have been reconciled together so first onesimus is a believer secondly the reason that Onesimus is different is that he is repentant, and thirdly, in verses twelve through fourteen, Onesimus is a help to Paul. Onesimus is a help to Paul. Paul expounds now on on how Onesimus has been useful to him. Look at what he calls him in verse twelve. This is amazing. I have sent him back to you in prison. That is, sending my very heart. Paul saying, this man who has come to Christ has been such an encouragement to me that it's as if I'm sending my very heart to you. I have a deep spiritual love for this man. And I would love for him to stay with me and to continue to help me and be an encouragement to me. That's what he says in verse 13. Whom I wish to keep with me. So that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment. You know, if you were so happy to send him back to me, then then that would help me. And you could be a source of blessing in that way. But if you kept him, that'd be fine too. Look at what Paul calls him in verse 16. He's saying to Philemon, accept Onesimus no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me. In other words, which he has been especially to me. Philemon, accept him as a beloved one who you treasure because that's what he's been to me. Both in the flesh and in the Lord, he has been my beloved brother. So the first reason that Paul gives for Philemon to accept Onesimus is that Onesimus is far different from when he departed. The second reason is that God... May have orchestrated these events. God may have led, led him back to you. The return of Onesimus might have been orchestrated by God in verses 15 and 16. Paul continues to appeal here to Philemon and gives further details about his desire. Look at verse 15. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. Paul saying what I want to see is that you accept him back as more than a slave not just a slave but as a brother and maybe he left in the first place so that this could happen in other words if he had stayed with you Philemon he may not have come to Christ And so what if God allowed him to leave you for this time so that he could be saved and restored back to you as more than a slave? That you could welcome him now as a brother, as a slave and a brother. Perhaps, notice that word, verse 15, perhaps, see Paul doesn't know for sure if God's doing that or not. If that's what God had in his purposes, but he's saying, in my mind, very well, God could be working in this way. To allow him to run away so that he would be in a much better state than he was before. Now a believer and repentant and willing to be restored. He left as a conniving, unbelieving slave and now he's going to return as a repentant, believing slave and brother. So welcome him. Just like the father welcomed back the prodigal. The return of Onesimus Is far different from his departure. The return of Onesimus might have been orchestrated by God. The third motivation is found in verses 17 through 20, that the return of Onesimus will be financially costly but spiritually rewarding. Financially costly but spiritually rewarding. Here, Paul continues to appeal to Philemon's love and faith that we saw in his prayer and his thanksgiving to God. And here he calls on Philemon to be loving and faith-filled by welcoming Onesimus. So in other words, he lays out what he expects of him. Again, I'm not going to command you, Philemon, what to do, but here's what I think you ought to do. And here it is in verse 17. First, welcome him. Welcome him. If then you regard me a partner, then accept him as you would me. Paul now appeals to Philemon to welcome or accept him. Paul's Paul saying, Philemon, we're partners, right? We're on the same team. And so if we are partners, recognize that I'm also a partner with Onesimus. He's my partner. How would you accept me, Philemon, if I came to you? Would you not welcome me? In fact, he's going to say that later. Prepare a room for me because I'm coming. And that's exactly how Philemon would welcome Paul. He would accept him. He's saying, listen, Onesimus and I are just alike. So accept him as you would accept me. He is my partner, my child whom I have begotten, my very heart, verse 12, my beloved brother. And So welcome him. Accept him. Accept him as a partner. Second thing Paul Paul uh, says to Philemon in verses 18 through 19 is to charge his debts to me. Paul wants to see Onesimus reconciled, not to have something kind of hanging over his head the rest of his life that, you know what, you stole from me back there, but rather that reconciliation would really happen. And so Paul's saying, if there is anything that's still owed to you, I want you to be paid for that. And so I'm willing to give up some of my own money. I'm going to have to work extra perhaps, whatever the case. But, but tell me how much of that is and I will pay it. How could Paul do such a thing? I mean, Paul had enough challenges financially of his own, didn't he? How could he say that I'm, I'm willing to pay for this man's debts? And I think the answer to that is not very hard to understand. That is that Paul knows what it's like To have a debt paid for Him. Paul knows what it's like to have a debt forgiven. In fact, if you are in Christ, you know what that's like as well. Because that's exactly what Christ did for you at the cross. That you and I had an impossible debt that we owed to God because we had sinned against Him. But for all those who believe, Christ effectively said what Paul says to Philemon... In whatever way the sinner has wronged you, Father, charge it to my account. And God agreed by causing Christ to take our robes of sin. The robes that we deserve to pay for, for, for our sins, Christ took upon himself the experience, the infinite wrath of God. See, we have been forgiven an enormous debt, and so we can be willing to, to show mercy to other people as Paul does here, Paul is showing mercy to Onesimus because Paul had received mercy himself from Christ. And So Paul makes this clear in verse 19 that that's what he wants to do. He says, I'm writing this with my own hand. And then he finishes here by saying, listen, you know, again, I could order you by authority and because of all the things that I've done for you, you owe me, but I'm not going to use any of those two cards. My authority or that you owe me. Instead, I'm going to appeal to you and just ask you to welcome him back. In verse 20, we see Paul's third request. First, welcome him. Second, charge his death to me. Third, encourage me with your response. When Philemon responds to Paul's request with faith and love, it actually will serve as an encouragement to Paul. Look at the text. Verse 20 Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. How is he going to do that? How is Philemon going to benefit Paul? How is he going to refresh his heart? The answer is by doing verse 17. The answer is by doing verse, verses 10 and 11, right? That, that he would accept Paul's appeal and restore Onesimus as a beloved brother. Paul had already said in verse 7, you know, you have been in the habit of of refreshing other saints with your love and your faith. Other saints are growing in Christ and being encouraged. And now, would you refresh me by taking back Onesimus? If you want to continue to refresh believers, then, then welcome him back. So if Philemon responds to Paul's appeal and these motivations, it will show Philemon's generous love for Onesimus, who has wronged him. And it will highlight the gospel. And the result will be that Paul will be spiritually refreshed. So the return of Onesimus is far different from when when he departed. The return of Onesimus might have been orchestrated by God. The return of Onesimus will be financially costly to Paul, but spiritually rewarding to him as well. And then, number four, the return of Onesimus, the fourth motivation will be followed by the return of Paul. In other words, Paul is coming home. Paul is coming to their church. That's not his home, but this may sound like an incidental travel note that we might just skip over Well, it's the end of the letter. He's just kind of telling his plans. But I think Paul is actually putting a little bit more weight on the choice that Philemon has to make, right? I'm going to come there and when I come, how awkward would it be if you didn't welcome him? Again, he's not forcing him, he's not twisting his arm, but he's saying, I'm going to be there. When I come, you know, prepare a room for me, verse 21. Having confidence in your... Or verse 22, he says that. But verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. I mean, it would be one thing if Paul said, here's what I expect of you, here's what will be great. For me to see of you that you would welcome Onesimus. And I'm going to send a messenger to see how that turns out. But here Paul's saying, verse 22, prepare a place, prepare a room for me because I'm coming soon. And so don't just give me lip service that you've welcomed him back. I'm going to see it in person. I'm coming soon. Paul has already shown that he desperately wants to see Onesimus restored to Philemon and now he's coming in person. And Philemon would not want to disappoint. He closes with some greetings from some fellow believers that are with him. We talked about those when we looked at Colossians, so I'm going to pass over there, pass over those. And then verse 24, 25, he finishes with the prayer of grace, that grace would be given to him in his spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think of some... Principles in closing. First, the gospel shines when Christians are united. The gospel shines when Christians are united. If we love Christ and we love the gospel of Christ, then we should want to see the gospel shine. And the beauty of the gospel is obscured when divisions abound, when divisions reign. Because our church and the watching world sees those divisions or at least the effects of those divisions. And the gospel is obscured. What we want to be seen as beautiful, which is beautiful, can be obscured by our divisiveness. And Paul was receiving great benefit from Onesimus working with him. And it would have been in his best interest, humanly speaking, for Onesimus to stay with him and to help him with his physical supplies and his spiritual encouragement. But Paul knew that Onesimus had a responsibility to, res- to be restored to his master and he knew that this would also give an opportunity for the gospel to shine. Because if Philemon responded positively to, Onesimus, to Paul's request, then it, it would cause the gospel to shine. Because who would do such a thing? Who would reconcile someone who had, who had wronged them in that way? And that's where Philemon is, has an opportunity to, to highlight the beauty of the gospel. Secondly, the gospel shines when Christians... Forgive. The Gospel shines when Christians forgive. And genuine forgiveness flows from a heart of humility. From a heart that recognizes that, you know, apart from Christ, I am nothing. And yet in Christ, I am forgiven by God. I have a new standing. And when we withhold forgiveness, we act like the world. But when we are liberal with the forgiving spirit we show that the Holy Spirit is supernaturally working within us. Forgiveness is not cheap, right? It's very costly. For Philemon, in addition to losing these items and this money that Onesimus apparently had stolen, he lost a great deal of time. He probably had to get someone else to take care of his things that Onesimus should have been taken care of. So it is costly to forgive. It might feel better to hold a grudge, but... But the gospel shines when Christians forgive. And then thirdly, the gospel shines when Christians sacrifice personal rights. And this is the wisdom of Paul in his leadership in not forcing Philemon to do whatever Paul wanted him to do. Instead, he, allowed, he appealed to him and allowed Philemon to make a choice. See, Paul had every right to invoke his authority and call in favors. You owe me, Philemon. But instead... Paul sacrificed all those rights that he had so that the gospel would shine. And I think Philemon appreciated that, right? That, that Paul treated him like, like a mature Christian who actually could make a good choice. But you know who I, I think appreciated it more? I think Onesimus did. I wonder if Onesimus even knew what was in this letter? You know, what often they would send these letters sealed and only the person who could who was addressed to could open it. So I wonder if Philemon read it for the first time in public. He read it in, in front of the Colossian church. Maybe Onesimus didn't know what was in that letter except that he wanted to see he, that Paul wanted Philemon to reconcile with him. But I imagine that as Philemon read that letter, if that were the case, in the presence of the church and Onesimus is under its hearing, Onesimus had to get emotional when, when he heard the part where Paul said, Accept him as you would me. And if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I mean, what did Onesimus do to deserve that kind of mercy from Paul? See, Paul could have said, do it. This is the best thing. You have to do this. Instead, he appeals to him on the basis of mercy, love, faith. Well, what is the rest of the story? What happened? I mean, did Paul's letter work? Did Philemon welcome back Onesimus or did he burn the letter in disgust? Well, we know he didn't burn the letter in disgust because we have... We have it preserved all these years later. And it seems like if, if it is preserved, that Philemon actually not only didn't throw it away or 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 um, get upset when he read it, but actually he probably treasured that letter and appreciated that Paul would appeal to him so kindly. And as a response, I think Philemon did, did welcome him. He did restore him. He did forgive Onesimus. And there's some evidence from church history that this is the case because Ignatius, one of the early church fathers in the 2nd century, the early 100s, wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus and the name of the pastor some 50 years after Paul wrote that letter to Philemon, the name of the pastor was Onesimus. Now, it could be coincidental. It could be another guy by that name. But it also could be this man here. Could have been the one who actually responded in faith to, uh, or responded by by growing and and becoming a vital part in the church there in that region. We can't know for sure. It's obviously speculation. Uh, we can only rely on the scriptures. Um, but when we get to heaven, I'm sure we can ask Onesimus what ended up turning out. How did that all turn out between you and Philemon? And for the sake of the Gospel, Paul appeals to Philemon through his love and to his faith so that the Gospel can shine. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the wisdom of your Word, how to handle personal conflicts, how to treat people uh, as spiritually mature when they are and and how to appeal to them rather to rather than to make commands. And I pray that uh, we would be good at helping others in that way, and and responding in love and faith like Philemon was so accustomed to doing. And and Lord, that in our relationships, that we would be quick to forgive, that we would be quick to sacrifice personal rights, that would be quick to unite around the truth of Your Word. Certainly, we don't want to unite around heresy or, or things that are critical to salvation but, but that we would not disagree over things that don't matter eternally things that, that are not of, of primary consequence give us the strength to, to see these things and to apply them properly to our lives and to our church and may the gospel shine as we seek to um, not obscure the, the beauty of it but rather um, allow it to be seen for what it is Jesus Christ came, took our place, and and we ought to give all of the glory to Him. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.